Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, as well as your popular podcast platforms. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here as we will recap all the latest Giants news, answer your Twitter questions a little bit later on, as well as get you set for the 2020 NFL Draft. And that's exactly where we're going to start. And today's focus is going to be on the Alabama prospects. And right now we are joined by Ryan Fowler, sports talk show host in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, hosts the game every weekday on the Tide 100.9. Ryan, you got Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time. I hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Yeah, everything is okay here in Tuscaloosa. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're having a small uh, curfew that's going to be implemented in a couple of days, but nothing like what you guys are going through. Uh, you know, I've got friends that live up in that area. Uh, i got to give a big shout-out to Big Howard Cross, uh, <laughs> a giant guy up there. But, uh, just, just uh, you know, praying for you guys, man. I know I see the numbers, and I can only imagine what you guys are going through. So uh, God willing that uh, everything's going to be able to uh, be okay, and we'll try to find a way to be stronger after this. Absolutely. Well, we certainly appreciate your well wishes, Ryan, and we hope that you and yours stay safe in Alabama as well as the country dealing with this trying time. But let's try to take our attention off of that, a positive distraction, and that is the world of sports continuing, at least in terms of the NFL. And let's begin with Jedrick Wills, the offensive lineman who many expect to be one of the first offensive linemen taken off the board, started at right tackle each of the last two seasons. Ryan, for our listeners who may not be familiar with him, why does he warrant going high in the first round? Well, I, I think he's probably when, when you look at you know, his physical dominance, uh, just a just an awesome player there. Really stepped in, uh, came out of the state of Kentucky and developed. And, and when you look at Alabama's dominant you know, offensive tackles that they produce, and they got a pretty good list of them in the last couple of years. You look at Jedrick Wills as just a kind of a he's a guy that can block the edge. And everybody looks at right tackle and you go, man, that's a, you know it's it's a little less. Well, he's blocking the left-handed. Tuatunga Valo's blind side. So for, to be able to trust him to do that, if he was a guy that you know you're not going to be able to do that, I think he would probably have you know switched to maybe went back to the left tackle side. But he was able to do that and, and really kept the heat off of uh, you know Tua and that staff. But but really it was more than that. He was a big leader on, on that football team and on that offensive line. And he was a guy that always was willing to come in face the media. Even when times were not going well for that offensive line, you know there was a couple of games where you know they had a lot of false starts, and you know Nick Saban's throwing his headset around, and I'm not exactly sure who the false starts were, were on, but regardless, he came in and kind of answered those tough questions. Uh, just the ultimate leader in Jedrick Wills. Ryan, it seems like when we were at the Combine in Indianapolis, everybody had a different opinion as to the order of the top four offensive tackles in this draft. So I have to play devil's advocate here. Instead of asking you about what Wills does well, let me let me give you some of the, the criticisms that I heard. And you okay. tell me how warranted you think they might be. Number one was that he's strictly a right tackle and doesn't necessarily project and convert to a left tackle in the NFL. Thereby, maybe he's not worth the first overall, uh, fourth overall pick. Another one I heard is that because he's so powerful and dominated people with his size and his power so much, his technique tended to get sloppy at times, and he'll need refinement there. And then the third thing that I heard from the naysayers was that 
And this was only in the last 48 hours when I was in Indianapolis. I started to hear NFL people say to me, you know, he, he could be a really good tackle, but he could be a dominant guard. And you don't really want to take a guard at number four. How would you respond? Well, I, I think he's capable of playing you know, that guard if he was asked to do it, but I, I do think he's a tackle. I mean, I, I just when you look at him, it just kind of makes up that feel that you know, he looks, the eye test looks like he, he's a tackle. But let me, let me say this. Um, I, I think sometimes he was so good, and a lot of these players are able to do this. When you play a, a weaker competition, maybe your focus is not where it needs to be. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen at the NFL because he's going to get focused every single play. I mean, he's going to be facing the best of the best. But at times, you could see a little bit of his fundamentals slide a little bit. And, you know, he would be a guy that you know, would, would might lose some frustration. And, you know, like, like I said, when you look at the illegal uh, procedures or the false starts, same thing. But, it, but it's just, it, it would, it, you don't ever know if that's on the quarterback because I, I watched, you know, Coach Saban, wear out Tua a bunch. Also watched him wear out Landon Dickerson, the center. And so some of that could be on him uh, not getting the correct call or not calling out the right assignment. Uh, but at times you would get some sloppiness. But I think a lot of that was was, was maybe at something else. And it, it was kind of late in a little bit of Jedrick. Because you can look at that and, you know, if you see you know, the official calling out uh, Jedrick Wills' number and, and the penalty, you automatically assume that it was him. But it, it may have been him. But the other part of the team may not have been on the same page. And, you know, I don't know if that was miscommunication or if it maybe it was Tua uh, didn't get the snap off or, or didn't receive the snap the correct way or whatever it was. Uh, but at times you could see some of the sloppiness that, that people refer to. Uh, if I was looking at a Jedrick Wills, and I've watched a lot of great offensive linemen here, uh, and I don't know, you know every single offensive lineman in this class, but I don't know if he's a top ten overall pick based on the previous offensive lineman that I've watched. Does that make any sense? I mean, I've just, I've watched, I, I think I know what a first round offensive line, you know, first 10, first 10, 15 pick top offensive line. I don't know if Jedrick checks all those boxes. That's certainly very interesting. And I, and I know that Alabama has certainly had a bunch of good ones. So you are uh, presenting a very high standard. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, look at the, uh, offensive linemen that they put at the next. I mean, just you know, just look at the next level. And so when I when I started seeing the early mock drafts, it was oh wow. I mean, because you you could see like you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth overall. It's like Ooh, wow, that that is really really high. Uh, you know, he has stuff that you cannot uh, you know coach size big, but everybody has that. If you're going to be playing at that next level, you better have it, or you're going to get overwhelmed. So when, when I look at Jedrick, I, do, do I see the potential to be that? Yeah, I mean, I could see him playing in the end, you know, 10 years in the pros and, you know, being an eight-time pro bowler. Um, but but it, at times it seemed like he would lose a little concentration, and uh, that's the, you know, the difficult parts of trying to evaluate if that will continue or if that's something that he just really totally gets motivated again uh, on that offensive line. Wills has been blocking to his blind side for each of the last two seasons at right tackle. And let's now transition to Tua. Clearly, Ryan, the biggest question surrounding him is whether or not he can return to full form after suffering that significant hip injury. I know over the last few days he's been very active on social media, putting out some of his throwing routines, 
you're down there in Alabama. What have you been hearing in terms of his recovery and where he's at at this point? Well, I hear he's ahead of schedule as, as he's been. I mean, think about this. I mean, I think the test was going to be where he was going to try to test something and show something around April the 10th. So he's already doing something. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it's it's great for his marketing team to get that video out and to say, hey, look, you know, and, because I, I do think he's ahead of schedule. The people that I've spoken to uh, each time that we've had some availability with Tua or uh, some of the medical staff, it, it has always been that he's been ahead of schedule. He's been ahead of schedule. He's been ahead of schedule. And I was kind of excited about Pro Day, uh, which, you know, where, where he was going to hold his own Pro Day and being able to, to kind of generate, uh, you know, j- just going out there and watching him throw. And I, I know this sounds really, really crazy, but I could pull up a, you know, a lawn chair and just sit there and watch him throw. He's just got this beautiful, natural release that, you know, the lefties always look great. But it, it, it's just something about it, the way that, you know, his mannerisms, the way that he carries himself, the way that he throws the football. Uh, I, I think he's a – if these injuries are behind him, which is the big if, uh, it, it's – I think he can play in the league for a long time and, and have tremendous success because he is just a guy that – you know, I, I've watched him fit those little tight windows to throw balls. Um, you know, I was talking to Kurt Warner last year at the NFL Draft. And he said, you got to start with God-given ability. He has God-given ability all over. He said, those are things that you could train a quarterback for 15 years, and he would never have that type of you know, arm-precise uh, accuracy. He said, it just didn't happen. He said, but, but the things that you, know, you, know, you want to see him continue to work on is not being teased. Uh, you know, they show you one look. And it got him a couple of times, but uh, you know, he really trusts his pre-read. He's a guy that... You know, he depends on everything that he studied. Uh, that at times would get him a little bit of trouble. Uh, he always looks for the home run shot, and that at times would get him a little bit of trouble. Uh, but after you get past that, if the injuries are behind him, uh, this, this guy has a chance to really be, you know, a super quarterback at the next level. You know, Ryan, in recent vintage, Alabama's also done pretty darn well with the wide receivers, and we all know that Jerry Judy is, is basically referred to as the most polished, best route runner of the kids coming out in this year's class. I'm going to ask you to project, because I know you've been covering the team for, for a number of years, project him at the pros to Amari Cooper. Is, is that where his upside is, or could it even be better? Wow. Um you know, Jerry's a, is is no doubt he's a very precise route runner, as, as everybody's talked about. I mean, I've even heard the uh, people throwing around that he's the best that they've ever seen. You know, coming out of college from the route running side of things, and you know, I, I, I don't I don't go back far enough that I can you know make that evaluation. Just hearing other people describe him, but I think could could he be as good as Amari Cooper? I, I in some ways. You know, I could see him getting even maybe a little bit better uh, than, than Amari Cooper. It just that there's something about him that is is special when you talk to him. And, and now Amari never lets you see that. He is a very very quiet guy. Doesn't really talk a lot. Uh, and and that's the other side of Jerry. Jerry's not a not a, you know overly uh, loud uh, talker that just enjoys it. But he'll give you you know quite a bit of stuff. And, and I think that's the, the area that he talks about being the best. And I think Amari is just one of those guys that's just kind of quiet. But, but I think they both have, you know, everything that it takes to play at the next level. Uh, Jerry is just a guy that, 
it, it made plays and wasn't afraid to, you know, run a brotherhood route. And when you're a group like Alabama with so many wide receivers, let me explain what a brotherhood route is. A brotherhood route is that you're going to run the route knowing that you're not going to get the football, that this is not your pass, but you're going to run that route as hard as you would if you knew that it was coming to you. And right. it's basically to help your other teammates get open. And so, you know, Jerry was one of those guys that uh, was willing to do that. And, and no frustration, not a lot of, you know, annex afterwards or I mean it was he did it I mean he was a very unselfish football player sure he wants the football uh but at the end of the day uh he, he's a team player first I think that's one of the characteristics about him I've been about Amari Cooper Amari just didn't have anybody uh that that was in that same caliber of you know wide receiver uh so he really didn't have to share the football we're talking with Ryan Fowler, sports talk show host in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Host the game every weekday on the Tide 100.9 about the Alabama prospects. And Ryan, as Paul alluded to, it's not just Jerry Judy. It's also Henry Ruggs. They've got a wealth at the wide receiver position. And when you look at Ruggs, the 40-yard dash time jumps off the page. He got a 4.27 at the combine. But, you know, sometimes I feel when people see that, they get too enamored with the speed and they lose sight of, okay, well, aside from the speed, what else is the guy bringing to the table? So, Henry Ruggs, is he just a speedster, or is there much more to his game that people maybe are not taking into consideration? Well, listen, Henry Ruggs has definitely got speed, and, and I've watched him, which is kind of fun. Like, like it, Henry Ruggs would be out there running with good defensive backs, and Henry Ruggs would make them look like me. You know, like you would look at you'd be like, he's running away from the, the radio guy, right? <laughs> no, I mean, those are SEC defensive backs. It's just another gear. And it, it's a lot of people can run 40-yard dash, and that's the speed. But then when the pads come on, that slows down significantly. Henry Ruggs, I'd love to see him run a 40-yard dash. With, with the actual pads on, just to see where he, how much is actually lost, because it looks like that football speed carries over, or, or the speed on the uh, without the pads carries over to the side of things. But but Henry is also a great wide receiver too, and, and you know we've had people on that are that have been on our show that talk about you know maybe he's the best wide receiver in this class. I know CD Lamb would have a love, you know, have a big argument out of Oklahoma. Uh, Jefferson is a conversation that you know we've heard a lot about from LSU, but. But, but backing up just a couple of minutes, back to Henry Ruggs, uh, just a work ethic mentality, lunch boot, uh, lunch pail type guy, you know, work boots. That That's what he is. He's just a huge worker. Uh, many times you'd see him after practice just just staying extra and, and, and kind of going the extra distance there. Uh, but Henry's more than just speed. He, he can give you a lot of lot of great things from, from Henry Ruggs. You know, I, I know that Diggs and McKinney are some of the other much uh, highly thought-after prospects there, but I want to ask you about Lewis because he's very intriguing to me. At 6'5", 260, an edge rusher, uh, I know he's had the elbow and the ACL injuries during his Alabama career, but his measurables are extremely intriguing, I think, to pro scouts. And, you know, I, look, I obviously – if he gets everything all together and he gets the polish and the maturity that he's need that he's going to need at the next level, I think he could be a very potent force on defense. Uh, Terrell Lewis, let me describe it this way: If you'll play every play with his potential, he could be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. 
But that's the problem. A lot of times I felt when I was watching Terrell play, it was, you know, 60, 70%. Then he'd give you 100. Then he'd drop back down to 50. I thought what he really, you know, coming off of the injury and having the injuries that he's had, I thought that he was a guy that, that just, he, he played timid a little bit. He, he played like he didn't want to get hurt. And, you know, just a guy that, it, I remember interviewing him, and the question was this. It was, you doubled your sack total in one game. In one game. Why? He said, well, I turned the switch. And what that tells me is he wasn't turning the switch the previous game. She said, I turned the, the switch on. And, and the follow-up question was, well, is it that easy? He said, yes, it's that easy. <laughs> and then, okay, at that point, it, 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 so that's the problem. They're going to have to, you know, and, and I'm sure, listen, once he gets that contract and, you know, he has that security, maybe he changes a little bit different. But I do think Terrell Lewis is, is has the potential to be one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. But he's got to stay healthy, which has been the big question because he's had injuries, you know, almost every year that he's been here. But the other part is getting him to give you 100% every single play, not just the plays that he thinks he's going to be able to get to the quarterback, uh, but being a guy that you can rely on to, to, to give you maximum effort every single play. Yeah, he missed 10 games with an upper arm injury as a sophomore, and then the torn right ACL forced him to miss the 2018 season. So it seems as if there's some questions regarding his durability. Now, I want to turn to... Let me add one more thing to the injury, if I can. Uh, Going back to the the 10 games of the arm injury, he was not supposed to be back uh, that remaining part of the season. So he rehabbed, busted his butt, and was able to make, if you go back to the George game when Alabama won the national title, he made the play uh, before Georgia set up for the field goal, uh, you know, attempt. So that forced them uh, to kick a field goal in overtime. So Terrell Lewis made that play, and he was counted out. It was a season-ending injury. He busted his butt, was able to get back on the field, and uh, you know, make a big impact. I mean, he made a play. Without that play, uh, we may not be talking about two and second and twenty-six and Devontae Smith with a national championship winning pass. Well, Ryan, while Lewis has shown some flashes, to your point, I think another player that has shown some flashes, but interestingly, the production has dipped each of the last two seasons, is defensive lineman Raekwon Davis. Two sacks in the last two seasons combined, had a team-high eight-and-a-half sacks as a sophomore over the course of 14 games. Ryan, how would you explain why his production dipped each of the last two seasons after a very impressive sophomore campaign? Raekwon was a guy that, that, that we always, you know, you look at him, uh, he passes every eye test of, you know, the, the measurables the measurables of, of Raekwon Davis. But I don't know if they, you know, like when I first saw Raekwon Davis, I thought he would be another one of those dominant defensive linemen, just, uh, you know, a guy that just finds a way to, to get to the, you know, either the, the running back or the quarterback or make the tackle. And he was at time. And then I saw, like, okay, well, we get to the uh, early departure for a junior, you know, early departures, and, and he decides to come back. And I'm like, okay, he's going to take charge of, of the leadership side of things. He's going to be that dominant force. He's finally going to be that. Quinn Williams got all the attention the year prior. Then Raekwon Davis is going to be this guy this year. And it really wasn't. I mean, it, it really wasn't. I think it was more about the new guys, uh, the, the freshmen that we'll be talking about in three or four years, 
more than it was about Raekwon Davis. And that that's another one. Listen, this defense of Alabama, and I'm not trying to be critical, I wonder sometimes if the defense and the way that it was called is, you know, you've got a rookie and Pete Golding as a defensive coordinator. Uh, they did, you know, at times they just didn't seem to be on the same page. And I'm wondering as we're sitting here evaluating these guys, is some of that in play? Is some of that in play? I think he can be. But Raekwon Davis just did not seem to be very comfortable in what they were asking him to do. Uh, does he have the size? Does he have the ability? Sure he does. I mean, there's things that there's no way that you can coach. But Raekwon Davis just didn't answer. You know, Vada had a checklist and said, hey, he'll do this, 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 and his career at Alabama. And he might have checked half of those. It, it just, I never thought he lived into his potential. If I may, Ryan, I want to stick with defense, and I mentioned these guys quickly before, Diggs and McKinney uh, out of the secondary. McKinney, a versatile guy. I'm curious as to where you think his best position at the next level will be. And Diggs, uh, a guy who some people in Indianapolis said to me he might be better off as a free safety than a corner. I'd like your thoughts on him, too. Well, Xavier can play all over the field, and I even thought that they might even put him you got to remember, we, we lost a ton of linebackers, and we were down to two freshmen that just off the, uh, the bus from high school uh, that they had to ask to step in there. You know, I even thought in the back of my mind that they might ask him to help them out of that linebacker position because I think he's physical enough that he can play uh, there at the college level. He's not going to do that in the NFL. But, but if you look at Xavier McKinney, just a guy that is, was the quarterback back there, leader, uh, he checks all the characteristic boxes when you talk about the leadership style of things. People respected him. It wasn't just because he talked. He, he played a great game on the side of the on the field. But Xavier is just a – he's a headhunter, too. I mean, he, he's a guy that, that's going to bring the lumber. Uh, but, but the biggest thing, yes, it's his ability. But it, it was the leadership style back there because if there was anybody that held that defense together, you know, we were looking for, quote, alpha dog on that side of the football, and they had one. He was just at the third level. It's hard to lead from back there, but he was able to do it. He was able to, to, to help call uh, some of those plays and to help make sure that the defense was in the proper alignment. Xavier McKinney, yeah, I think you could build a, a really good defense uh, around this type of guy. I think he's that type of leadership characteristics and during some adverse times. Uh, he was able to answer the call. Going to Trayvon Diggs, uh, Trayvon's a guy that, that you you look at would give up plays from time to time. Uh, he was another one that when I saw the draft uh, board and I saw, started seeing, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, I, I thought, mm, that, that's, a little, that's a little high. It, now, that's judging for me. I don't know everybody in the town. I don't cover the NFL draft the way that you guys cover it. I covered just from an Alabama perspective, but when I remember seeing, you know, Trayvon Diggs listed, yeah, he's got the, you know, the pedigree, he's got the bloodlines of, of just being a, you know, a great player, but, but it was, it was the, you know, place that he would give up. Uh, our secondary, but some of that was, was on pass rush. You know, you tie all this together, you know, there's Deion Sanders couldn't hold a guy down, you know, 10 seconds. Uh, so, Trayvon Diggs was probably asked to do a lot of things uh, that, that he wasn't able to do, and it was back to the pass rush. Alabama had virtually no pass rush. And, you know, I know we're going to at some point work to Anthony Jennings and Trell Lewis, 
they didn't give you much. It, they didn't give you much on the sacks. So it kind of goes hand-in-hand with that unit. You've got to be able to put pressure on the quarterback, and they were not able to do that. So Trayvon Diggs unfairly judged because, you know, the quarterback's got all day back there to you know, eat a sandwich and, and find an open wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> You brought up the pedigree and the bloodline, and for our listeners who may be unfamiliar, Trayvon Diggs, the younger brother of Stephon Diggs, former Vikings wide receiver who now was just acquired by the Buffalo Bills. Interestingly, Ryan, I was reading up that when Trayvon came to Alabama, he started off as a defensive player, but he was also a wide receiver, and then he went full-time to the defensive side of the ball, I believe, his second year. What exactly was the rationale in terms of him shedding being a receiver, and is there actually potential and upside for him to maybe do a little bit of that in the NFL? I think he would have been in the same class with Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell. Uh, he would have been in that same class. And, you know, I think we've, we've seen that before. Uh, Cyrus Jones was a wide receiver, flipped to the defensive side of the football, and uh, I don't think it was anything against his skill set. I just think that was a loaded wide receiver room. I mean, I think you walk in that room and you go, yeah, I'm probably not going to get very many <laughs> snaps. Uh, so that that was probably, you know, one of the reasons why that, you know, I don't know his personal reason why, but uh, Saban usually doesn't force these guys into, into doing that, uh, but maybe advises them, say, hey, you know, this, this is what you're looking at. Uh, and gives them a little dose of reality and, and looks at it and says, hey, I think you can be a better here." And, uh, you know, he's been able to do that with a lot of guys. I mean, I look at Rashad Johnson, who played nine years in the NFL, came in as a running back. He made him a defensive back. Uh, he was an All-American, two-time captain, went on, went on to play uh, the Cardinals and the Titans for eight, nine years. Now he's a color analyst back here. But uh, Saban can spot that talent. And, you know, you also got to remember now, Saban coaches defensive backs, even though he tells us he's the GA at the defensive backs. <laughs> Uh, every now and then he'll spot a guy that he wants to convince to come over to the secondary, and he does that. And, and it's it's kind of, you know, it's just those eyes that he sees and says, hey, yes, 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 I, uh, let me bring him over. And, you know, Saban has a way of coaching these guys up from that from that position. Final one for me, Ryan, uh, Anthony Jennings. To me, I, I look at the, the, the frame, the, the, the size of him, I'm like, you know, at the next level, he'd be better off at middle linebacker. But that's not what he played at Alabama. And and his skill set says he should be something else. But but that tweener size is a problem for me. I just don't know how, how he projects in the pros. Well, and, and, and neither do I. But let me, let me go back to, to 2017 in Jennings. Uh, Clemson game down in New Orleans, semifinal game. He had a coming-out party, and I mean a coming-out party. Uh, just every type, type of statistic that you could put up, uh, putting pressure you know, on the quarterback, I mean, I mean, really just, just giving you everything that you want in, in that position. Well, the injury happened in that game, and it was a, a pretty severe injury. The so next year, he was able to get back on the football field, but it looked like that he had lost a step from, from you know, the 2018 season. Then he was able, I thought, to get that back in 2019. And, you know, as a guy that, that finds a way, uh, you know, he may not you know, pass the eye test like Terrell Lewis. You look at Terrell Lewis, he's pair man for James, looks, looks kind of small. But he's not small. He's just compared to his, his running mate there in the, in, in the, on the outsides is just, you know, it doesn't match up. So, but but when, you, when you look at Anthony Jennings, another one of those guys 
big-time leader, big-time team player, uh, but he doesn't look like that he can make all the plays from just maybe, as you said, he you know he kind of fools you a little bit. He does kind of look like that middle linebacker. But it, but if you watch him, uh, he, he can he can find a way. And very very highly intelligent football player in Anthony Jennings. He's a guy that is he makes up what he maybe doesn't have on the physical uh, side of being an outside guy. Uh, makes it up with smarts and tries to find a way. Just he uses great technique. Uh, if you'll watch him and some of the things he'll do against those offensive tackles, uh, try to find a way to get to the quarterback. But Anthony, if you can give if you could get back to Anthony. 2017 season, Clemson, where he had his coming out party. That if you can get back there, then then I think that's a that's an area that you could be very very pleased with at the next level. We're talking with Ryan Fowler, Sports Talk Show host in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And Ryan, before we let you go, one other player of note, I think, on the defensive side of the ball is Shaheem Carter, the safety who recovered from sports hernia surgery after the 2018 season and you know seems to be that ball hawk I believe he you know returned two interceptions for a touchdown in 2018 so there's a sign of opportunistic plays what do you see out of him and where does he translate perhaps on the NFL level Yeah and, and I mean think about the the position that he was asked to do I mean a lot of times you get a uh, very difficult you know coverage guy there uh Shine can do that but he, he's a guy that uh just a uh, overall, a, a good role player. I, I don't know what what's some of the projections for him because I really haven't seen anything, and I kind of balance that out if that that's fair. Uh, but but Shane's a guy that you know can fit a lot of different roles and was asked to do a lot of different things at Alabama, and he was able to do that. But uh, I I would probably just off the top, what fifth, sixth round, fourth, fifth, sixth round. I mean, he's not a he's not a guy. I don't think that would be uh, those first three, first four rounds, would he? No, I mean, even some are projecting him as an undrafted free agent, even to that point. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. That that would probably make uh, better sense. So, yeah, I, I just, I mean, unless somebody just really falls in love with him, I think he's just a role player that, that can fill a lot of different capacities. Uh, you know, the NFL, I've watched guys come out of that same role, and, you know, they dedicate themselves to being a special teams guy and being a very, very good one. Uh, Shining could do that, but he could also give you some things. So he's versatile enough that he can play – uh, several different positions. But, yeah, I mean, that, that would probably be more. I, I, I didn't really know anything about as far as his draft status. But Shaim, uh, I think, would, would be a role player, uh, give you a chance to, uh, to build something and have some maybe interns set on the sidelines. And some of those guys, to your point, they hang around and they carve out a very lengthy career because of what they could do on special teams. He is Ryan Fowler, sports talk show host in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, host the game every weekday on the Tide 100.9. Ryan, really appreciate the time and the insight. Once again, hope you and yours stay safe and healthy during these trying times, and hopefully we'll get back to football sooner rather than later. But really, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you guys so much. You guys stay safe up there. You as well, Ryan. Thanks again to Ryan Fowler, sports talk show host in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, who hosts the game every weekday on the Tide 100.9 for joining us and breaking down the Alabama prospects. Nick Saban and company certainly produce some of the top talent in the league each and every season. This year should be no different. All right, Paul, so that's the draft side of things, and we'll get a little bit more into the draft as we move forward here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, but let's jump back into some of the Giants' transactions. And a reminder, all the agreements we are mentioning on the show are not official. They are all only according to the reports we attribute for each player and all of them as a group. They are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place. 
That is yet to be determined. And this applies to the following players. James Bradbury, Nate Ebner, Cameron Fleming, Blake Martinez, Colt McCoy, Cody Kors extension. That all according to the NFL Network. Kyler Fackrell, Levine Toilolo, Corey Coleman being re-signed. That according to ESPN. And Dion Lewis according to multiple reports. So since you and I were on on Monday, the two newest ones, Dion Lewis and Corey Coleman. Let's start with the new face, and that is Dion Lewis, who played for the Titans the last few seasons, primary backup to Derrick Henry, the change of pace back. And here we go again. Monday, we talked about the big theme this offseason, Paul, familiarity, right, and connections to the coaching staff. Well, he's also a former New England Patriot who crossed paths with Joe Judge. So there you have another opportunity to connect the dots. It's an interesting deal, Lance, because the Giants have Wayne Goldman on their roster. He's still under contract for the 2020 season. And I think, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why can't he be 1A? Well, when you refer to the whole Patriots connection, Deion Lewis is a guy who ran for, for almost 900 yards a few years ago in New England, a guy who started half of the season. You know, Belichick likes to change those backs in and out since the days of Curtis Martin. And Joe Judge obviously must have a fondness for him. Well, Lewis, to me, is not going to necessarily take carries away from Saquon Barkley. He will be more of a change of pace guy. Maybe he'll play some third downs. Maybe he'll just give him a little bit of a rest on given possessions. But I don't think there's any doubt based on Lewis's resume that they're not going to be afraid to give him the ball in certain situations. Plus, he has plenty of experience, whether it be in New England and Tennessee, He knows what it's like to be the complimentary back. Think about it. When he was with the Patriots, you know, Paul, New England, more so than any other team, rotates running backs. I mean, Mm -hmm. think about how many guys have come and gone during the course of their dynasty. And Deion Lewis was just one of many faces that was thrown into the mix. And then, as I mentioned, in Tennessee, Derrick Henry was the workhorse, and Deion Lewis knew his role, and he came in according to the circumstances of the game. He's also a solid receiver out of the backfield, so that makes him somewhat of attractive. But you look at 2018, he had 155 carries. Last year, he only had 54. So he understands, hey, it's going to fluctuate season in and season out. Now, you look at Jason Garrett as an offensive coordinator, and you look at what the Cowboys did. They've had other running backs on the roster over the last few seasons with Zeke. But let's face it, Zeke is the workhorse. Zeke got the bulk of the carries. Same thing with Saquon Barkley. Barkley Still got the bulk of the carries, even though the Giants have had other running backs. Now, we don't know how things are going to play out with Jason Garrett because this is now the first time he's going to be exposed to a new running back. But this is when I don't overreact with respect to how many running backs are on the roster, Paul. And the reason being is Barkley went down with an injury last year. Not that we're anticipating that to happen again and not that you wish that on any player. But when people look at the roster and they're like, well, what do you need this player for? What do you need that player for? You can't predict the injury bug. You can't predict how the season's going to play out. So I look at the arrival of Deion Lewis as simply another player to add competition in the backfield, let the best man win, and another player to push Wayne Goleman. Because remember, this is now a new regime. This coaching staff's going to look at Wayne Goleman differently than the previous regime. And I think you have to take all of those factors into consideration. Well, there's no question. And I think we could also say that, at what, uh, going on 29 and a half, 30 years old, 
Lewis certainly has a lot of gas left in his tank. This is not a guy who's at the end of his career just looking to fill a role for somebody. This is a guy who obviously feels he's got a lot of football still ahead of him. He's been a part-time player for the for really his, almost his whole career, so he doesn't have a lot of wear on his tires. And so at the same time, he's got a lot more playing experience in the NFL than Goldman has. Uh, you mentioned the connection to Judge. That's obviously a big part of it. Uh, last year, what he carried what, between carries and receiving only four or five touches a game. So he, again, can be a spot player, a role player. I think the question becomes, if you're the Giants, uh, how do you decide to sort out the depth chart? Are you looking at Lewis and Gallman being two and three or three and two? And if not, are you looking for Lewis to replace Gallman, although they're different styles of backs? Let's not kid ourselves. Lewis is a better receiver out of the backfield, or at least more accomplished than Gallman is. But I think we would all agree that Gallman has a bigger frame and a little more power behind his running style. And over his college career, certainly at Clemson, was a touchdown monger. Uh, Lewis, a little more of a scat back. Again, a third down kind of guy. I do think they, they have different tools. But at the same time, if the Giants have decided they're only going to keep one 1A one back, well, odds are that the former Patriot with the connection to the new head coach probably has the inside track. The question then becomes, would they keep all three? Or is that third spot on the halfback depth chart wide open for somebody else to come in and steal? Or whether they consider a fullback Something to that note, too. Do they consider the tight end as a fullback? You know, those are some questions I think still need to be answered. Here's another thing that's important to point out, Paul, with respect to Deion Lewis, and I agree with you in terms of gas in the tank. Remember, the first two seasons in the NFL, he was with the Eagles. In 2011-2012, he had 23 carries in 11, and then he had 13 carries in 12. So I'm not saying that he didn't take hits at practice or whatever it may be or in games, but we're talking about a very, very small sample size. So his heavy lifting didn't really start until he was about three seasons into New England because even his first two seasons with New England, he had about 50 carries a season. Then all of a sudden, it shot up to 180 in 2017. So I think that's important to note. It's one thing to say a guy's been in the league for X amount of years. Okay, well, what was his workload like? And speaking of workload, here's the other thing to look at. Last year, Barkley missed three games. Despite the fact, Paul, that he missed three games, he still had 217 carries. The next closest rusher, on the team was actually Daniel Jones, who had 45. The -hmm. next closest running back was Wayne Goleman. He only had 29 carries. So my point is, despite how many running backs you have on the roster, it doesn't mean that the coaching staff in their mind is saying, well, we need to look for ways to rest Saquon Barkley. A lot of times it's insurance or it's specific roles that they have in mind, downs and distances for other backs. But how many times have you and I had conversations in the rest of the hosts where we field questions, who's going to be the short yardage back on the roster? Who are they going to bring in on fourth and one on the goal line? And you know what happened more often than not? They started to use Saquon Barkley in that role. So I right. guess I'm going to shy away from now saying this guy's going to have this role, that guy's going to have this role. When Barkley really emerged as the go-to guy, regardless of the circumstance last year. 
Well, I think for for those folks out there who don't know a lot about Deion Lewis, picture him in terms of Joe Morris in type of in, in terms of the frame. We're talking about a guy who's five eight, about one hundred and ninety five pounds or so, give or take a couple. Uh, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. A, a guy who's a, almost a, like a, a, a fire hydrant, if you will. He's he's diminutive, but he's got some thickness to him. He's certainly got some jukes to him. Now, Joe, of course, you remember, Joe liked to run between the tackles. Joe was not a third down back. He was not a speedster to the outside. Joe was a guy who ran between the tackles and ran off tackle, mostly behind the back of Carl Nelson for many of those yards. Uh, different style of back than Joe, but same type of frame. I want to make that very clear. Different skill set, but same type of frame. And again, I think he's going to be more of a strategic role type of player than anything else. Uh, I am curious, though, you mentioned before about what would the Giants do at fullback and would they count fullback as part of their running back a complement? Well, we know that Elijah Penny, um, I believe, uh, again, I'm not sure if this was according to reports or not, Lance, but Penny is expected back. So the Giants, you know, need to figure out exactly how they want to sort out their backfield. I believe, based on what, what I know from Judge, I think he's probably going to want a pure fullback on the roster. But again, we saw a pure fullback on the roster the last couple of years, and that guy did not get a whole lot of playing time my argument to that is if you're going to put the guy on the roster you got to find a way to use him effectively it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep a pure fullback if he's not going to see the field very much I think that's a very fair point all we can go based on is the fact that the Cowboys offense did have a fullback involved not necessarily a guy that was going to catch the ball in the backfield but they did involve the fullback so there's one example to go by considering Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo are now part of the offensive staff. Sure. And Joe Judge is coming from a New England team that also incorporated a fullback and utilized that fullback in many different ways. So if you read between those lines, Paul, it would not surprise me at all if Judge and Garrett, after consulting, said, hey, you know what? Based on our previous stops and our experiences, we think there's value in utilizing and having a fullback on the roster Make ultimately the final 55-man roster. Look, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, Lance. I still think that Saquon Barkley is going to be even more dangerous if he's got a fullback in front of him. I really believe that. And and I'm sure that there are a lot of folks who will disagree, others who will speculate and really don't have an answer to it. I think he will because, in my mind, the Giants right now, I mean, Evan Ingram is, is, is questionable with the foot. Okay, we'd like to believe everything's going to be okay with him, but he's also not a strong blocker. And so the Giants are not getting that extra pop in the running game out of their starting tight end, who quite honestly lines up a lot in the slot and outside anyway. So you're not going to get the extra blocking from that particular position. And the offensive line, we've also talked about this. We believe that they're still going to look for some fortification there. So unless you have... A stout offensive line that knows they can handle the power run game with five men up front, well, it just makes more sense to me to have a fullback on the roster and to make sure that you use him to your advantage. So 
I, I, I just, I don't know. Logic says to me that's the way they're going to go. But we will see. Well, speaking of some of the new additions, and a reminder that all of these agreements we are mentioning on the show are not official. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player as well as a group, and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical. Whenever that will take place, that is yet to be determined. This applies to the following players, James Bradbury, Nate Ebner, Cameron Fleming, Blake Martinez, Colt McCoy, and Cody Kors extension, according to NFL Network. Kyler Fackrell, Levine Toilolo, and Corey Coleman being re-signed, according to ESPN, and Deion Lewis, multiple reports. So Corey Coleman, who is a player that, unfortunately, the injury bug struck at the worst possible time last year on the very first day of training camp, Paul. He goes down. There was a lot of high hopes that he was going to play a prominent role in the offense last year. A great opportunity as potentially the third wide receiver. After showing some nice flashes in the second half of the 2018 season, once he was promoted from the practice squad late in October of that year, especially as a return man, and then unfortunately could not build off of that because of the torn ACL. So I was very high on Coleman. I was excited about his potential last summer. I'm very excited that the team is now giving him another opportunity, even though the coaching staff has turned over, because I think that if he can stay healthy, there is an opportunity within this receiving core. Golden Tate and Darius Slayton, as well as Sterling Shepard, you feel good about that trio. But there's some injury concerns, especially with Sterling Shepard over the years. If you can have that other player who can help special teams, which is going to be key, you need to if you're the fourth wide out, and then also have some opportunities to run routes and contribute, you know, that to me is the icing on the cake. And Coleman has another opportunity, I think, heading into camp to etch out that type of a role within the offense. Well, we do know this. Uh, before the knee injury, he really had blazing speed. And, you know, I can't say that we saw enough of him in game action to say that he will, in fact, beat out the competition that they bring in over the summer. But I certainly think there's nothing wrong with having him back and allowing him to compete because what do they always say about competition, Lance? May the best man win. And with the kind of skill set that he brings to the table, absolutely, positively, it's a good thing to let him fight for a job because if he does then that means he deserves it I really believe that the Giants have to draft at least one wide receiver and probably bring in a couple of undrafted rookie free agents anyway and and the more the merrier and you just pick your best five or best six however many they decide that they want to keep and say okay these are the guys we're going to go into battle with that's fine and if Corey Coleman proves that he can overcome the injury and that he has a sensational training camp and a terrific preseason, I'm perfectly fine with him being on the 55-man roster. Remember, it's going to be 55 now, folks. So <laughs> we got to so, be careful with that. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm I'm really good with that. And again, let's not forget his kickoff return ability, which he proved to the Giants just a couple of years ago, was as good as anybody that they've had in recent years, at least since Dominic Hickson, for sure. Well, and that's why I don't think he should be overlooked for that very reason that you brought up. And also looking back at 2019, Paul, and think about how many injuries Thomas McGahee, special teams coordinator, had to deal with. It was a game of musical chairs sometimes every week. This guy's in the lineup one week. He's our return man. Now all of a sudden he's hurt. All right, we brought a new face in. He had to rotate gunners and so forth. So if Coleman can prove 
that he's fully healthy, he can contribute as a wide receiver and be another reliable return man, and I thought he was very productive in that area. Forget the wide receiver contributions. He was very productive as a return man, Paul. If he can now be another option, that to me also proves his value and would warrant a reason to keep him on the 55. Well, you know, the one thing I would say is he is going to not only start with a fresh slate with head coach Joe Judge, he's also going to start with a fresh fresh slate with the quarterback, Daniel Jones. He doesn't have the advantage of having worked with Jones. Uh, that That's the one thing that's really going to make this a wide-open competition with whoever the Giants decide to bring in off of the, uh, the draft or the undrafted rookie free agent list. Because a lot of times, the, the guys who are fighting for a spot on the depth chart can say, well, look, I know the quarterback. Uh, we've got some chemistry going. We've got some timing going. He knows me. I know him. And especially, we've discussed this many times during the program, that in all likelihood, the rookies are not going to get a lot of prep time going into the regular season with their new professional teammates. Well, unfortunately for, for Coleman, he won't have that advantage. It's really going to be a wide-open competition in the truest sense of the word because he doesn't have an edge. The quarterback that he worked with in the Giants uniform is now retired in Eli Manning. I think that's a great point and, and probably something that many people wouldn't even take into consideration. However, I will say this. Here's where he has an advantage, Paul. He did come from the Cleveland Browns organization. And if there's any organization that has a revolving door of quarterbacks and needing to make adjustments, it's that organization. So I think given what he dealt with there, and then also remember he was with Buffalo and New England before he even came to the Giants practice squad, all of that leads me to believe that adjusting to a new quarterback on the fly is not something that's going to be overwhelming for him because I think he has a wealth of experience. But at least when it comes to the Giants specifically, Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton have an entire season under their belts of working with Daniel Jones. And I'm sure some of the other guys who may arrive at camp probably had some reps with Daniel Jones too. So he would be behind the eight ball with respect to that. But like I said, if you go back to the early stage of his NFL career, if anybody's worked with a variety of quarterbacks in a short period of time, it's certainly been Corey Coleman. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, unfortunately for him, it, it has been quite a long road to reach the potential that everybody thought he had when he came out of college. But hey, this this may be his last stand. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I do know this. He has worked extremely hard to come back from that knee injury. And he's got a terrific attitude. I think he understands that the Giants, uh, in in giving him this opportunity, even after he was injured, uh, have have basically given him a potential new lease on life. And I can't imagine that he would want to throw it out away or waste it. Well, because if it comes to adversity, and that's the word that you want to use, Mm -hmm. Corey Coleman, when it comes to the Giants roster, is right under that umbrella. Because remember, it's not just the torn ACL. This is a player that I believe Corey Coleman broke his hand not once but twice when he was with the Cleveland Browns. It was actually the same hand, and it forced him to miss a bunch of games and periods of time early in his career. So, you know, when you look at that and then you look at opportunity staring him at his face in 2019 and then all of a sudden on day one of training camp, you tear your ACL— This is something that, you know, he has had to deal with in a very short period of time. So, you know, I agree with you. The hunger is there. It's now a matter of him proving in the durability department he can 
get through the ups and downs of practices and camps and prove that he can remain a versatile player. And I was just looking back at the numbers. 2018, Corey Coleman, 23 kickoff returns, 598 yards. He had a long of 51. He averaged 26 yards per return. So that just goes to show you. And that was in eight games, by the way. He is more than productive when it comes to special teams. And that, to me, also should help him bode well for him because I think if there's any spot that you need to hammer down on is special teams, especially if you're going to be the fourth or the fifth wide receiver on the roster. Well, I think, you know, the sooner that he gets into the playbook, the better, because considering he's he's had time with Buffalo and Cleveland and, and New England and, and the Giants, but the Giants, of course, changing coaching staffs and offensive coordinators, I mean, his the playbook inside his mind must look like a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> you know, so the sooner that they can get him acclimated to whatever it is that they are going to want him to try to compete at, the better off he's going to be. Well, related to special teams, let's now shift gears to some of the players the Giants have lost in free agency. And let's be clear, this is according to multiple reports with respect to the players that we're going to discuss because nothing is official across the board when it comes to the NFL because of restrictions on the ability to have physicals conducted by teams. But special teams is an area that has certainly been impacted by free agency, and it's more of a reason, I would argue, why bringing back a guy like Corey Coleman, Nate Ebner, who we've discussed on previous shows, why the Giants have brought in new faces is to fill some of the holes that may have been created as a result of free agency. And that brings us to Antonio Hamilton, who was an extremely valuable player on special teams last season. He, according to multiple reports, is heading to Kansas City. And Cody Latimer, NFL Network's Ian Rappaport reporting the other day that Latimer is going to stay within the division and he's going to join the Washington Redskins. And Latimer was also a special teams contributor and also, similar to Corey Coleman, that complimentary wide receiver. So this is why you always need to account for it's impossible to bring everybody back. And that's why you need to target other players that can assume those roles. Hamilton, very interesting. I mean, look, uh, when he first got to the Giants after being with the Raiders for a couple of years, had been a bit player for them, didn't know what to expect, only had been told that, don't expect much as a corner, but he can really play specials, and, and he's going to help out a lot. Well, we saw last year, he was always one of the first guys down there yeah. in kick coverage. Uh, I don't know how it is that he was always there, but he's always seemed to find a way. Is it because he just had good speed? That's part of it. Is it because he was able to escape and shed blockers? That's part of it. Is it because he had terrific vision and was able to slice around guys? That's part of it. The truth of the matter is, and we've watched a lot of football in our day, Lance, there are just guys who have a knack for getting down there. That's just the way it is. That's what makes these special teams demons who they are. The Michael Thomases, the Cody Cores, the Antonio Hamiltons. I don't want to confuse Pro Bowl guys with non-Pro Bowl guys, but still there is a knack for certain guys who just have a way of finding the ball downfield. And when you don't have those guys, they're very noticeable. They show up. 
because you'll go through a season and you'll constantly be giving up return yardage. You're not going to be down on the ball. The punters especially notice these guys. I mean, you want to talk to Jeff Eagles about this? He will tell you that his best friend on the team was always going to be David Tyree because he was down there to either make a tackle or down the ball. Or make sure that it went out of bounds, to, to, you know, that the return guy wasn't going to get it. Uh, th- there's so much value. You don't miss those guys until they're gone. And so the Giants, oh, you mentioned the, the former Patriot coming over. That's a big deal because Hamilton is gone, and we also don't know what's going to happen to Michael Thomas. Yeah, that's a good point. So the Giants, they, they're aware of that factor. They want to make sure that they have that position filled on the team. There's got to be a guy who's going to be an impact gunner on kick coverage. And so they they imported the fellow from the Patriots, understanding that, okay, look, if Hamilton's gone and if Thomas is gone, we know we've got one of those impact guys in that slot. So it means a lot. When you look back at the 2019 special teams unit and some of the players we've brought up, you can always remember at least one play that all of those guys did that was very much a difference maker at that stage of the game. For example, you brought up Michael Thomas. First thing that probably comes to my mind is I believe he had the block punt against the Cardinals, if I'm Mm -hmm. correct, where the Giants then recovered the ball in the end zone for a score, if memory serves me correctly, Mm -hmm. Paul. I remember Antonio Hamilton, multiple plays to your point where, you know, they were saving balls from bouncing into the end zone either because of Hamilton's hustle or Cody Core's hustle and downing it at the one or two yard line and making the opposition go 97, 98 yards. I remember that multiple times. So, you know, those are the plays that stand out to me. I know they certainly stand out to you. I think maybe to the casual fan, you don't necessarily value those plays to your point until the guy leaves and then you say to yourself, hey, why was it that we were avoiding these type of plays last season? Well, it was because you had the Michael Thomases, the Cody Cores, the Antonio Hamiltons. Now, as we mentioned in our laundry list of players, Cody Core is expected to be back, according to multiple reports. So they're still going to have him in the mix. But Hamilton and Michael Thomas right now still a free agent. So, you know, Thomas at least remains up in the air. And that's why I don't think it's surprising, Paul, considering Joe Judge's background and Thomas McGahee really bolstering special teams since his arrival, that they said to themselves in free agency, hey, if we may lose a few of these guys, we need to target and make sure we bring in some new faces or we at least retain some of the valuable commodities on the team. Well, think about this, Lance. We know that the Giants are trying to improve their defense, and it looks as though they've, they've added a bunch of pieces that they think will, will put them on the upswing. But the bottom line is, one of the other ways you can help your defense is to continuously tilt the field. And, you know, again, I I think you're right. A lot of people just don't understand that factor, but it's a big deal. When you continuously force teams to have to climb uphill. Now, last year, unfortunately for the Giants, their defense had a lot of trouble stopping 85 and 90-yard drives. Yep. Okay? It was an issue. Now, with with the incremental improvement that they've already made in free agency, and then you hope as well in the draft, now maybe those 85- and 90-yard drives don't lead to points for the other team. So you still want to create as many of those opportunities as you possibly can so that you're giving 
your, your, your defense a chance to breathe. You're giving them a little bit of room. It didn't work so well last year because, again, quite frankly, the Giants' defense just had so many problems that it didn't look like there was much you were going to be able to do to help them. But, I mean, think about this. I I don't know that they're going to be able to, to do the same thing that they did in punt coverage last year, but the Giants allowed less than 10 yards per return. They were top five in the National Football League in punt coverage. Some of that was because of Riley Dixon. Yeah. But 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 please do not underestimate the value of those guys getting down there in coverage. Well, and as you just mentioned, Paul, with respect to the defensive issues and the Giants' defense, well-documented, gave up a lot of big explosive plays, which is a reason why multiple opponents were able to cash in on 85, 90-yard drives or 85, 90-yard plays. But you still, as a team would rather put your defense in a position where they have to give up 85 to 90 yards as opposed to all of a sudden you get in a situation because of special teams issues, Paul, where now you're putting your defense with its back against the wall and the opposition is starting around midfield or in that vicinity and even a good defense, you're stressing them out. So no matter what the defensive production or the lack thereof was last season or what it's going to be this season— Rule 101 is going to be your special teams, the number one priority and the number one goal is put your defense in the best possible position. And that's what I felt occurred more often than not, thanks to Thomas McGahee's unit. And you know Joe Judge, that's his wheelhouse. And if there's anything that he wants to see continue before he even looks at what's going to happen from an offensive and a defensive production standpoint, is absolutely going to be the maintenance of that special teams unit. So, you know, that to me is one of the takeaways that I see based on the developments and reports in free agency is the background that he's bringing to the table, it's not an afterthought to him. And I'm not saying anybody thought it was going to be an afterthought, Paul, but you could tell this is not just a third facet of the team. No. And some teams, though, in fairness, Paul, everybody's got a different philosophy we've seen across the NFL— they may not prioritize that because, you know, they think the offense and the defense is going to do enough and we'll rely on our punter to do the heavy lifting or rely on our kicker. But other units, you know, put value on the coverage. And that's what I think needs to be emphasized with the Giants because it has been emphasized in recent history for this team. Oh, by the way, Joe Judge, what's the tree he comes from? Belichick, Saban, Parcells. All three of those head coaches prior to Judge getting this job have all taught him well. Special teams is a big, big deal. Field position, tilting the field, got to do it. It's, it's, it's one of the requirements that you do on game day, according to those guys. Is it any wonder, any wonder that Judge feels the same way? I, I, it's, it's elementary. Now, the one other player that I want to bring up who, according to multiple reports, has left the Giants, and he's also joining Antonio Hamilton in Kansas City, is Mike Remmers, who really proved to be a valuable signing last year. Remember, Remmers comes in in May, well after the draft. They were monitoring his health. They wanted to make sure he was fully healthy. He certainly had ties to Pat Shermer and the Minnesota Vikings, so there was familiarity there. And Remmers comes in, and he starts 14 of 16 games because he missed two due to injury, and the 14 games that he appeared in, he started all of them and you know, really held his own and had a nice bounce-back season for somebody that had been plagued by injuries. 
So the reason I'm bringing him up, and we'll see what takes place with respect to the right tackle battle. You certainly have Nick Gates, Cam Fleming, one of the newest additions according to the reports that we referenced earlier in the program. Certainly going to have opportunities to win that job. But you can't rule out also some of these veteran free agents that may come in after the draft. We've seen it across the league, and it paid dividends for the Giants last season. You know, I thought Mike Remmers was not only a good signing, but even after the fact when the season was all over, I felt he gave them good value. You know, they didn't bring him in to be a Pro Bowl player. They brought him in to be a functional player. And that's exactly what he did, Lance. I think I had him down unofficially for giving up a half a dozen sacks. But, you know, when you consider that you said he started 14 games, in my opinion, the Giants actually ran pretty well to the outside when they went out there. They, they ran too many times between the guards, if you ask me. They didn't take advantage of enough of some of the running that he was able to, uh, to pave the way for. I, I, I think Mike Remmers was a solid, functional, adequate player. Now, based on the reports that say they have brought in Cameron Fleming, well, Fleming is a guy who's a little bit younger. He's got the uh, obvious continuity uh, with Judge in New England. He's got the connection to Colombo and Garrett with the Cowboys. You can understand the personal preference uh, in terms of why they may have wanted to have uh, Fleming instead of Remmers. But both of those guys were talking about veterans who had started a bunch of games in the National Football League before, at guard, at tackle, okay, Guys who are just workmanlike, who just want to go in there, keep their mouths shut, do the dirty work, and see what they could do to help you win. So to me, Fleming is a similar type of signing that Mike Remmers was. Uh, you're not going to sign him to be a Pro Bowl player. You're going to sign him to compete, to, if he wins the starting job, be a functional player. And I think I, I salute Mike Remmers. I, I enjoyed having him around. He was a really good guy. I think he showed leadership skills. I think he just was very workmanlike and blue collar in what he did. And, and I wish him nothing but the best as he moves on because I, I do think that a lot of people kind of let him fly under the radar. And very quietly, I thought he was an effective player along that line last year. I agree with you. And I'm glad you brought up the leadership quality. He was certainly a guy that was very kind and approachable from a media standpoint. Always interesting to hear his perspective in the locker room, and I think that rubbed off on some of the younger offensive linemen that were on the team and developing, such as a Will Hernandez. So overall, when you look back at 2019, the lesson learned here is you never know what you could get out of free agency, even if it's well after the draft. And the Giants made sure they did their homework. They monitored him. They brought him in for workouts, and they wanted to make sure, okay, we bring him in. Let's just make sure he meets all the criteria. He gets all the check marks, and he did, and then he held up, which to me was the most impressive aspect because whenever somebody has a back injury like that who plays on the offensive line, you know, sometimes you're rolling the dice, Paul. So to me, the most impressive number is putting aside the production, sacks allowed, or whatever it may be, is 14 games started that you got out of Mike Remmers last year, knowing what he dealt with the previous season. That, to me, is an accomplishment in itself. Well, let me just say something, Lance, uh, because I've got these numbers in front of me. The Giants ran 50 plays behind right tackle 
this past season. Now, I don't have the breakdown as to how many of those were behind Remmers or how many were behind Nick Gates, who obviously played out there a couple of times when Remmers uh, had the injury issue. But on those 50 runs, the Giants averaged 5.1 yards per carry. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Last time I checked, I think you take about half a first down every time that uh, you're running behind that guy. So, you know, I again, I just say to people, uh, I think he was underrated. I think he did a solid job. And the Giants should be so lucky as to if Fleming does at least as well, if not better, obviously with the familiarity with the coaching staff, the Giants believe that this is a better fit. At least that's what we think, given based on the reports that Fleming is going to be here. He's a little bit younger. Uh, okay, great. And, and if that's what Fleming turns out to be, a functional starter, well, that's okay. That's good news. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, as well as many popular podcast platforms. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hopefully we are providing a distraction during these trying times. We're going to get to your Twitter questions in a few minutes as we wrap up the program. But before we do that, now that we've covered some of the ins and outs of free agency, Paul, I want to get to some NFL news, and this relates to the draft The NFL has confirmed that the draft is going to go on according to plan, so we are pretty much less than a month away now, closing in fast and furiously on the NFL draft. It's going to be in a TV studio. It's not going to be in Las Vegas, as they initially planned. However, multiple reports came out the other day that the general manager's subcommittee recently voted 6-1 to to recommend the delay in the draft given the inability to gather information as usual and in light of the potential competitive disadvantage arising from the fact that some facilities are shut down by local stay-at-home orders. And we don't know what's going to happen in the weeks ahead, but I guess there was some concern from the subcommittee's perspective. What happens if you have a team located in one state that has looser restrictions than other states? They have Mm -hmm. access to their facility and so forth. Even though, to be clear, the NFL recently issued a memo to all teams saying that they have to lock down and shut down all of their facilities. So as it stands right now, nobody's allowed in their respective facilities. I'm just bringing up the point, Paul, we don't know what's going to happen three weeks, let's say, down the road. So that's why I think there was somewhat of a concern from the general manager's subcommittee. But the NFL is saying the draft is going to go on according to plan. And this, I think, brings up an interesting conversation with respect to no pro days, You don't have the opportunity to bring in these prospects for medical checks and face-to-face meetings. So the evaluation process that you did with your scouting department during the regular season, any news and notes that you picked up in the combine, if you had a sit-down meeting with a prospect, that's really going to be the top characteristics that you're going to have to take into consideration when making decisions as opposed to some of these other complementary pieces that would be taking place around this time of the year. Well, I'm going to refer to a tweet by former NFL GM Michael Lombardi, who tweeted out this morning, good part about not moving the draft, it will help cut down on bias. Bad part, too many players are missing critical data. Tape analysis will rule the draft, and in his opinion, it says that may be a good thing. Well, you know, I would only say this. I would say it's highly likely there's not a GM in the National Football League that watches more tape than Dave Gettleman of the Giants. So if that's to be true, that tape analysis is really going to be the key in hitting or missing 
during this draft, uh, that will bode well for teams like the Giants who have a GM that just absolutely gobble up tape as if it's a double cheeseburger and fries. (laughs) Because that's what Dave does. He tells us all the time. He will watch tape until his eyes bleed. And so, in my opinion, uh, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing if, if you're Dave Gettleman. Because what does he do? He says the tape doesn't lie, and I believe what I see. Uh, well, he doesn't say those things. Those, those are things that Antrell Roll used to say, but they apply to Dave Gettleman because of his philosophy, which he has so eloquently told us about time and time and time again. So uh, I, I could say this. I have tremendous confidence in Dave Gettleman's drafting ability. I thought he drafted well with Carolina. I think he's had back-to-back drafts that have been extremely positive for the Giants, and I have no reason to think that he's not going to come up with some pretty good roses this time. And at least looking ahead to the draft going on according to schedule, I can only imagine the ratings for the draft this year, Paul, because the NFL right now is king of all sports because they at least are making news compared to everything else. All eyes for those three days, are going to be glued to the television, regardless of what the setting is, and regardless of the fact that it's not going to have the same feel as previous drafts, because people are going to be yearning for something new, and the NFL now has to offer that. So this is going to be quite an event, even though it's going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum from the event that we're used to observing and taking in on an annual basis. Well, there's certainly going to be a lot of hoopla that that will be lost, but hey, you know, we are in very difficult times right now, And if that's got to be, that's got to be. I do think that the NFL draft is going to provide a tremendous distraction. And if you don't believe me, how do you think it went last week when all of these things were involved in the health crisis throughout the the, the nation? And yet NFL free agency was really uh, at at an all-time fervor. I mean, it was just absolutely bonkers. The headlines coming out of Twitter every few seconds about this guy going there and this guy going there. It was it was fun and games that allowed you to be distracted from the reality of what's going on and gripping this country around the throat. So I really believe that in my mind, the draft and everything is that we do leading up to it for the next month is probably kind of like that 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 candy bar you know, that you give to the little kid before they go to the dentist because it's going to distract them a little bit, right? Yeah, let's just hope you don't give them too many or else then it's not going to be fun once the dentist gets a hold no, of you, okay, Paul, okay. to play so off may- your maybe not a great, Maybe not a great analogy, but how about this, Lance? I know that it used to be back in the 70s when you are a little kid, and I know that's before your time. Well, you don't want to and, date yourself on this program, Paul. Well, be careful. And mom and dad would want to take you to the barber because <laughs> you had to get a haircut. Right. And and what would happen? The, the, the barber would always have that dish full of candy or, or lollipops. And if you were good sitting still and taking the haircut, you always got the candy on the way out. So how about how about we talk about how the candy was a distraction from sitting in the barber chair? The draft can be a distraction from the health crisis that we're dealing with. How about that? Fair enough. A nice reward at the end of the tunnel in terms of what you're saying. The other thing that I just wanted to throw out before we get to your Twitter questions is the fact that. When you look at the timing of the draft, I think another aspect that the NFL considered, once again, we're entering the land of the unknown. Nobody knows any timetable. If they do want to try to keep the regular season schedule on track, that they will 
eventually be able to start up. And if, let's say, camp gets delayed a little bit, I don't think you'd want at that point to have to go through the draft, if you know what I'm saying, Paul. That's why I think by maintaining the calendar, even though it's not under the ideal circumstances, maybe to all 32 teams, it at least keeps you on track that when and if we are allowed to resume normal activities within the NFL, that they don't have to now account for a very lengthy process of the draft. You'll be able to communicate with these players, even though you may not have them on the field. I think in the long run, it's actually going to be beneficial for the teams. Well, I'm just going to throw out two items here. Number one, I would say you're 100% correct. If they're going to keep any semblance of the fall schedule intact or at least close to what they're hoping to do i think you need to have the draft now because it's a domino effect you start pushing one thing back now it is going to jam things up on the other end of the pipeline so i think just to even give yourself a chance to have the semblance of a normal season you need to hold the draft at its appropriate time i think number two what have we talked about ad infinitum these rookies are going to come in and they're going to have very little prep time. Isn't it better that these guys get drafted in April and that you can, through telecom or whatever type of electronic means possible, you can get them their playbooks and, and, and give them video conferences and interviews with the coaches? And I think you have to loosen up all your off-season restrictions, okay, because we know there is that blackout period usually after the minicamp you have six weeks until camp starts and there's that blackout period where coaches and players are supposed to have, uh, you know, the blackout time. I think you got to loosen that now. I think what you have to say is, for the rookies especially, you get these guys drafted at the end of April and then you do everything you can electronically to try to prepare these guys so that when they finally come to training camp, whatever amount of training camp there's going to be, they've at least got a sporting chance to be somewhat prepared and caught up and ready for what the NFL was going to throw at them. I think any adjustments that could be made to make it easier for the players and the teams is something that should be welcomed, at least from the NFL's perspective. So that's the latest in terms of NFL-related news. Now as we aim, now as we move closer to the end of the program, let's uh, get to some of your Twitter questions. And once again, keep sending in your Twitter questions via Giants.com. You can head to the Giants' social media Twitter account for explanations of where you need to go to submit your questions, or you can utilize hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter, as well as sending them into all of the individual hosts. We will certainly add it to our laundry list of questions. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. We want to maintain the interaction that we've had on this program when we were up and running live. We can't take phone calls So your interaction through social media is certainly something that we want to continue to maintain. Okay, this first question, Paul, don't have a name or a city tied to this, but I think it's a valid question. Do you think that Levine Toilolo will be utilized for his receiving skills more than in the past and not just for his blocking as he has an incredible catch radius and is a hands catcher at the ball's highest point? He's a blocker, Lance. That's what he does. That's what his frame is all about. I, I don't necessarily think he's going to be used as a receiver. 
I would agree with you. I think when you look at his numbers, first of all, he only has 97 career receptions, and we're talking about a player that has been in the league for already seven seasons. The most receptions he's ever had in a season is 31. That was back in 2014, his second year in the league with the Atlanta Falcons. And last year, he played 13 games, Paul. He had just two targets, caught both of them for two receptions or 10 yards. And the reason why I bring that up is not to show that he's incapable of being a receiver. I don't want to make that very clear. You can run him out, and he can contribute in the passing game. But take this into consideration, Paul. He was with Kyle Shanahan last year in San Francisco. You could argue Shanahan's one of the most creative play callers right now in the current league. Who moves around personnel and maximizes the usage of personnel more so than Kyle Shanahan? Don't you think if pertaining to the question that we were just asked on Twitter, if there was anybody that would say, hey, let me try to put a player into a situation that maybe he's not been called upon to do more often than not, wouldn't you think it would have been Kyle Shanahan of all coaches? Well, <laughs> I don't have a problem with what you said at all. I'll, I'll just echo that. I don't <laughs> think I can add to it. Completely understand where you're coming from. Hey, <laughs> silence is not a bad thing, people, on this program when it comes to Paul Dettino. It's a rare occurrence, but it this is. is something that you should certainly, certainly savor based on what we've seen over the course of this program. All right, let's go to our second question. This comes from Matt. After the first wave of free agency, what do you believe are the biggest remaining needs on the Giants roster? You know what, Lance, we're still so fluid here. But again, I think we all said during the early part of the offseason, the Giants would like to enhance their offensive line. They'd like to enhance their front seven on defense. Uh, They'd like more competition at the slot corner and they'd like more competition at wide receiver. I mean, I don't necessarily think that any of that has changed. I think with with some of the uh, supposed reported additions, they have probably upticked. Uh, several of the spots on their roster, but is there anything wrong with fortifying any of those spots that I just named a minute ago? No, not at all. Pass rush has topped my list even before the first wave of free agency, and I would have said even if the Giants did add a few players in that department, I still would have said it remains in need because I think at this point you want as much competition on this roster as possible, and you want to be able to also get these guys who may be veterans that are coming in to push the young guys who, while still have upside and potential, have still very small sample sizes and have not worked with Patrick Graham. So I think pass rush getting after the quarterback remains the top need regardless of what goes on even in the remainder of free agency, Paul. Well, you know, again, Lance, uh, we don't even know if the Giants are going to wind up being at number four. For goodness sakes, they might even make a deal to move down a little bit. I, I think it's possible you could find logic for it. I don't know that I would do it, but that certainly changes the complexion of everything because if you do move down and get a couple of extra picks, now you can service more of these areas. Let's go to our third question. This comes from Philip. Everyone has been talking about the injuries to guys like Ryan Connolly, Sterling Shepard, and John Jalapio relative to the 2020 season. What about Jabril Peppers? Is he expected to make a full recovery? Broken backbone sounds like a very serious, potentially career-changing injury. I'd love to see him flying around out there again in a new system. I saw Peppers at the very end of last season come into the locker room, and he seemed to be in good spirits, Uh, wasn't much in the mood to talk but did indicate that he was doing very, very well with the rehab. So I have no reason to believe there's any setback there, and I think the Giants, probably with all this time off, are are very fortunate 
that he got hurt when he did because, uh, you know, it gave him a little extra time at the end of the season before the offseason began. Yeah, it's not as if he had to start tackling the rehab right after the season ended. He had a head start, to your point. I do think that's extremely valuable. And I think it's a fair point by the question that we received in terms of how nobody has necessarily been bringing it up. He played 11 of the 16 games, so he missed the final five. But you're talking about that final month of the season and then some, you know, he already was beginning the rehab process to rest up and recover so that he'd be ready to go throughout the course of the offseason. And here's maybe a blessing in disguise, Paul. If OTAs don't go according to plan, which at least based on the writing on the wall, looks like it's not, maybe that gives somebody like Jabril Peppers even more time for recovery and ready to go when we are ready to resume business as usual. Well, let's not forget, Jabril Peppers has not had an injury-plagued career. As far as I know, this is the first significant injury that he has ever had to deal with. That's a good point. Okay. And second of all, all right, uh, he's still young. Was he 24 years old? I mean, you know, he does not have a ton of mileage on his tires, Lance. And they always tell you, the guys who have been you know, hurt the least, and the guys who are on the younger end of the spectrum are going to be guys who have a better chance of recovering to full strength. So, you know, he's not a 32-year-old safety. He's a 24-year-old safety. So I like his chances better of coming back to what he's supposed to be. He's only been in the league for three years. Sometimes we forget that. We think these guys are polished veterans. Remember, the Giants acquired him. He's still on the rookie contract. And that was part of the intrigue when you bring in a player that you know still has years left on the rookie contract. So you don't have to worry about necessarily giving them a new deal immediately. So Agreed. we th- yeah, go ahead, Paul. No, I and I think I think what we, we sometimes forget is that because he was so popular as a high school player in North Jersey and then went to Michigan and got so many headlines, it seems as though he's played football forever. You think of him as like an eight-year veteran. You do. Because he has been so much talked about in the New York metropolitan area because of his uh, accolades as a young player before he even got to the pros. So we was, we are so familiar with him, it's almost like routine. Oh, yeah, Julius Peppers. We've been talking uh, – Julius Peppers. Well, Julius Jabril- Peppers is a polished veteran. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but we all think, oh, Jabril Peppers, yeah, he's been playing for like 10 years. Well, that's because when he was in high school, he was drawing headlines in the local papers. That's another fair point in terms of his ties to the local area that anybody who has followed local high school football, you've heard his name time and time again – so that all of a sudden, by the time he comes to a professional team, you can't separate the high school, college, and pro portions of his career. So, yeah, it seems like we've been talking about him for a long time, and he's only a three-year pro. Well, that is going to wrap up Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, all the agreements we mentioned on the show are not official. They are only according to the reports we attribute for each player or the group as a whole, and all of them are contingent upon the players passing a physical whenever that will take place, which is yet to be determined. This applies to the following players, James Bradbury, Nate Ebner, Cameron Fleming, Blake Martinez, Colt McCoy, Cody Kors extension, all according to the NFL Network, ESPN, Credited for Kyler Fackrell, Levine Toilolo, and Corey Coleman being re-signed, and Deion Lewis is multiple reports. We appreciate everybody tuning in on a daily basis as Big Blue Kickoff Live up and running each and every weekday here on Giants.com, the Giants mobile app, as well as all popular 
podcast platforms. Paul, enjoyed the conversation as always. Look forward to chatting with you down the road. Another front program, Lance. Thanks. And we want to thank Ryan Fowler also for joining us to break down the Alabama prospects as we continue to set the stage for the upcoming 2020 NFL Draft. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and always stay locked to Giants.com for the latest. Have a good one.